listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Well, good morning, church. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Y'all rowdy, you ready to go this morning? Say amen, come on. Come on. All seven of you, that's awesome. Good to go. Um, Grab your Bibles, uh, grab the Vintage app, because today, finally, praise Jesus, we're going to finish this series. Uh, um, It's been awesome to watch the Lord work during this series. And if you have not uh, been here for some of this, I encourage you, download the Vintage app. You can get every part of this series that we're calling Toxic, um, and you better download it, because I'm never preaching this again. Um, I told you guys from the very beginning, this is a series that God has been trying to get me to teach for over a year now. And I've been fighting it and fighting it and fighting it for for a lot of reasons. Uh, Mainly because I told you, if you don't know how preaching works, whatever you preach on, the devil messes with the preacher in that subject. And so every time you kind of surrender to teaching on a subject, you're opening yourself up for the devil to fight you on that subject. And if you've never preached, I can't explain that to you. But like areas that you thought you had under control, you decide to teach on them and the devil starts messing with you, man. And he messes with me enough as it is. Like I struggle with with life in general without having to, to deal with this extra bit of it as we do in this series. Because this series, we've been talking about toxic emotions. The emotions that tend to heartjack us and take control of our lives. That the reality is that if, if you have accepted Jesus, if you have allowed that sacrifice that, that Jesus made on the cross for your sins and received his forgiveness, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life, and he and his power, they are supposed to be in charge. Come on, you with me? Say amen. amen. Like you are supposed to be a spirit-driven person. But the reality is a lot of times... My emotions kind of push the Holy Spirit to the back seat, and they begin to steer my life. They begin to steer my, my attitude and my actions. And I would love to say to you that, that since the day I met Jesus, the Spirit has been in charge, but I don't like lying from the platform. Because there are times that my anger has taken control. And the anger has been in charge of me, not the Spirit. Anger has been what drove my emotions and and drove my actions and drove my attitude. And so we had to deal with that. And and anger isn't, I wish I could say anger was the only emotion that I've ever struggled with. But no, um, lust has also taken charge of my life. And there have been times when we talked about last week, like depression has ruled me. And last Sunday was one of the most powerful experiences we have ever had. I watched grown men fall into the arms of our prayer team last Sunday, just weeping, and it was powerful. But today, we're going we're gonna to continue in this series, and there's one more emotion that we've got to talk about. We've got to have this conversation, and, and, and like all of these, I think every week I, I, as I'm preparing, I'm like, this is the one that like all of us struggle with. But can, are you like me? Like, like all these tend to wreck me from time to time. Come on. Like, it'd be, like we, I am messed up, man. Uh, Like, we are all just messed up people trying to figure this thing out and these emotions. But the reality is, I think maybe the reason why these emotions take control of our lives is because the church hasn't had the courage to talk about them like we need to talk about them. 
It's like we want to make people feel guilty for having these emotions because, oh, no, you're a Christian now. You're not supposed to be emotional anymore. You're not supposed to be emotion-driven. It's all about the Spirit. And that may be great for some churches, and if you need a church like that, this ain't the one. But you don't have to be victim to your emotions. You can be victorious over these things. It's not that there's times when you're going to have these things and you're going to have these feelings. You can have those feelings, but those feelings can't be in charge. And, and, and this series isn't going to get to the place where now you're going to walk out of this series and be like, I'm no longer going to be angry. I'm no longer going to have lust. I'm no longer going to be depressed. Like, like if you thought that's what was going to happen out of this series, I'm sorry. We, that's not it. You're still going to feel those emotions. But what I hope you've been learning is the reality is those, those feelings are natural. And sometimes those feelings are involuntary. But allowing those feelings to take control is a choice. Allowing those feelings to be in charge is not what you have to do. You're going to feel them. And if, you, and if you try to act like, see, I think one of the reasons why we don't deal with these things is because we try to act like, we try to ignore that the, like the feelings aren't there. And this wasn't to create ignorance over the feelings or denial over those feelings. The point of the series was to get us to acknowledge that life is hard. I thought that would have got at least one amen out of the crowd. Dwayne, where you at, bro? Thank you. If I can get amen from Dwayne, at least, it ain't good. Those feelings are going to come, but they don't have to be in charge. That the Spirit of God in you is strong enough for you to overcome them and not allow them to wreck your relationships and your career and put you in a position where you can't be victorious. It doesn't have to be. And it's dangerous in their charge. Once again, Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. See, the reason why we got to get honest about this is because like a city whose walls are broken, when the walls come down and the, and, and the walls are no longer existing, then the city is vulnerable to the attacks of its enemies. And what the proverb is trying to teach us is that's how we are when our emotions are in control. When we don't have control over our emotions, then we're like a city vulnerable to the attacks of our enemy. And so we've got to learn to get these emotions in check. And maybe there's other ones that you deal with. But the four that I've decided to, 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 to tackle in this series are the four that I struggle with the most. Anger and lust and depression and finally, bitterness. It's going to be a fun day, ain't it? <laughs> bitterness. Because see, like, uh, I think for me, I get bitter more easily than I get angry. Like I have more triggers for bitterness in my life than I even want to admit. And I think when we talk about bitterness, it's really easy for you to kind of check out. Because it's almost like we want to isolate bitterness to only those people who have been severely hurt by others. And so it's hard for us to even admit that we're bitter, but can I... Like, there, there are, again, like depression, there are degrees of bitterness. And there are some people, you're bitter for very legitimate reasons. And that's one thing I've tried to do this entire series, is not dismiss the emotion that you feel. Because there are people in this room, and what has been done to you 
has created such an anger and bitterness towards people. And if we knew that story, we'd be bitter too. Come on. Like you have been so wounded. And wounded by people that should have been the last people to wound you. You know, the reality is, the more intimate the offender, the more painful the offense. The more intimate the offender, the more painful the offense. And there's people in this room that your parents did things to you. The people that were supposed to protect you. The people that were supposed to love you. Like family members and spouses. And like, they're, that's, that's a level of bitterness. But can I be honest with you? I think we live in a culture that is continuing to breed bitterness in us. Because in my life, I, I can't claim to have ever been bitter really, really out, of, out of really significant abuse. Can I be honest with you? My bitterness is more petty. I get bitter out of jealousy. Anybody? Maybe y'all don't because y'all are much more spiritual than me. But when I see people have things that I want, I get bitter at them. Somebody got to be out there feeling like, somebody let me know that I'm not the only one. Come on. Like, like when I see people that have something that I want, when, when people have certain things that, that I have desired throughout my life, I'm bitter at them just because they have it and I don't. I get bitter out of just jealousy and envy. You've done it too. That coworker pulled up in that nice new ride. <laughs> and you're like, what are they doing? I bet their car payment is through the roof. <laughs> oh, they just in debt more. How do they afford that? That's bitterness in disguise. Come on, somebody. Or I get, bitter a, I get bitter just out of a sense of entitlement. When people, when I don't have what I think I deserve. When I've watched people who in my mind I've convinced haven't worked as hard as I've worked or sacrificed as much as I've sacrificed and they seem to have what I think I deserve. And you know what? I want them to die. <laughs> Don't judge me. Because you, like you've been there. I just, I mean, like, I, even, even as a church, and, and you know, when, when we've struggled for things and that kind of stuff, and you've watched, I mean, it's, it's just, it, it's easy to get it. And you know what? Especially in our culture with social media, when you can see what everybody's got, because they post it every day? It just fuels that bitterness inside of you. And see, I think we, we, there, are people, there's, there, there are those people that, like, there's a bitterness that you have towards somebody who deeply wounded you and abused you. And then there's some of us who just walk around with these little beads of bitterness 
that we think aren't a big deal, but they're making an impact in our lives and they're changing how we view other people and hindering our ability to really be the hands and feet of Jesus. You cannot live and love like Jesus with just those little tiny beads of bitterness toward other people of jealousy and envy and entitlement. It's impossible. And maybe it's those levels of bitterness that are even more dangerous than we want to realize because it's the emotions that we ignore that end up getting the best of us. And even, I told you, I didn't want to preach this message. As I'm, as I'm even studying this week and thinking about bitterness, God's beginning to reveal to things. Like, here's the thing, can I be honest with you? There's people that I'm bitter toward, and I don't even know them. <laughs> but I follow them on Instagram. And it drives me crazy what they have and what I don't. And I don't think I'm alone. Isn't that crazy that you can be bitter toward people that you've never even met? But that's the culture that we live in. And if we're not honest about that, if we choose to ignore that, we're making a big error. Come on. So again, like all these, before we go any further, can you just be honest? And before you think, oh, bitterness, I'm good. Oh, depression. Nope, it's not me. Oh, anger? Nope, it's not me. It's not me! <laughs> that maybe you, again, maybe you walked into this room on this Sunday and, and maybe you knew, like you've heard me say when we're talking about bitterness, you're like, oh crap. I've got to figure out how I can forgive that person that wounded me 10 years ago. And maybe you walked in here today and, and you thought, bitterness, whew, I can finally get a Sunday off. But the reality is... There are these little beads of bitterness that have been creeping into your heart and your soul and your spirit. And you need to be honest about them. And can I just teach you some things that God's been teaching me about bitterness? First thing is this. Bitterness destroys its host, not its target. Bitterness destroys its host, not its target. When you're bitter towards anybody, you know what they're doing? They're going about their life. They're going about their life. They're doing their thing. When you're harboring bitterness, the only one you're destroying is you. It's this internal poison that's just rotting away your spirit and it's moving inside of you. And while you're walking around bitter and frustrated and angry, and, and see, that's the other thing is, you know what I've noticed? Is bitterness leads to a lot of the other emotions that we've been talking about. Bitterness creates depression. Bitterness is often a, a, a result of lust, lusting after something that you want but can't have. Bitterness breeds anger. Bitterness destroys its host, not its target. That person that's the target of your bitterness, they're okay. It's you it's destroying. That's why Paul says things like this in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. I think when I, when I read that verse, I'm going to say if you get rid of bitterness, 
then all the rest of them begin to go away as well. You ever notice that? Get rid of bitterness and rage and anger are gone. Get rid of bitterness and brawling and slander are gone, along with every other kind. Like, if you can deal with this issue of bitterness, if you can get resolution to bitterness, then a lot of these other emotions that we struggle with will begin to work themselves out. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And you see that a lot when God's calling us to be forgiving, just as God forgave you. That the reason why we're called to forgive is because we're forgiven. If anybody had a right to bitterness, it's God. Especially towards me with the things that I've done to him in my life. The many times that I've gone to him and walked away and gone to him and walked away and abused his grace and his mercy as I pursued my own selfish desires. Bitterness destroys its host, not its target. Second thing is this. Bitterness towards one affects your relationship with all. This is what I've learned. See, some of you are thinking, well, oh, no, no, I'm just bitter towards my mom because of what she did to me. But I would submit to you, if you're harboring bitterness towards your mom, there's a good chance that there's a little bit of bitterness towards every woman in your life. See, bitterness is never isolated to that single relationship. Have you ever noticed that? When out of bitterness... You lose trust in one person, it erodes your trust in every person to some level. Come on, am I preaching church? Are you with me? See, I think sometimes we convince ourselves that no, 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 no. My my bitterness is isolated to this one relationship. That this person hurt me and I'm bitter towards them. But that bitterness that you have towards them actually is bleeding in to all the relationships that you have. When you have unresolved bitterness in your heart towards anybody, it is affecting your relationship with everybody. That's just the way bitterness works. It's never isolated to that single relationship. See, so often we have bitterness that has come because somebody hurt us, somebody broke our trust. Right? Somebody did something or said something. We, 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 we told something to somebody and, and, and we confided in them for healing and hope and they betrayed us and they broke that trust. And, and you don't think that when that bitterness towards that broke, broken trust doesn't affect your ability to trust everyone, you're delusional. You're kidding yourself. It's making a difference in all your relationships. Check out what the writer of Hebrews said. Hebrews chapter 12, pick up with verse 14. It says, make every effort to live in peace with who? Everyone. Everyone. And to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Verse 15. And see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You see that? Bitter root. You've heard that whole term of, of spiritual fruit, right? Say amen. amen. Like the fruit of the Spirit. That when, when, when the root is the Spirit, the fruit that is produced is one thing. When the root is not the Spirit and the root is bitterness. Can I give you a really cheesy pastor line? Say, yeah. It's going to be cheesy. A bitter root. 
cannot produce sweet fruit. Like when, when, when bitterness has taken its root in your heart, the fruit that's going to come out of your life can't be sweet. So that means like the fruit of, so that means, that, that proves what I'm trying to say, that it, it affects everything. That when bitterness has taken root, it's bitterness, it's from that root that's producing the fruit of your life. And when you're living with rooted bitterness in your heart, it's affecting everything. It's not isolated to the one that hurt you. It's not. It's impacting everybody. Here's another important thing you know about bitterness. Bitterness between us creates a barrier from him. Bitterness between us creates a barrier from him. See, there's a principle that we see throughout Scripture that, like, the horizontal conflicts impact the vertical connection. That when, when there are things that aren't right between us, it stands as a barrier between us and him. Like, that's the beauty. Like, salvation, what Jesus did wasn't, wasn't just about us and him. It was about us and us. Because, see, sin didn't just sever our relationship with him. It messed up our relationship with everyone. And see, bitterness is that way. And, and, and what we don't realize is, oh, I'm just bitter towards them. But your bitterness towards them is affecting your relationship with him. And you think, oh, I'm mad at her, but me and God, we're good. Don't think it works that way. Remember what Jesus said? Mark chapter 11, verse 20, verse 25. It says, and when you stand praying... If you hold anything against anyone. Again, you don't have to be a biblical scholar. Oh, no, 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 Matt. Wait, 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 wait. You don't know my situation. I don't hold just anything against anybody. I hold a very specific, hurtful, painful thing against a very specific someone. Now, Jesus says, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. So that your heavenly Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Do you see it? Do you see it? That when there's bitterness between us, there's a barrier with him? It says when, when you're standing, you're praying, and you realize, and you know what? I think it happens when you're standing, you're praying, and God's like, hey, 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 it's good that we're talking. But you know that situation with you and them, it needs to be resolved. No, God, I just want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to them. Because what, do you, God, do you remember what they did? And God's like, I'm God. Yes. He says, well, but when you're standing and praying and, and, and it's revealed to you, just forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Do you see the danger in bitterness? Do you see it? It's the, it, it will destroy you. It will eat you alive. And it's not just impacting the one that hurt you. It's impacting all of your relationships. And it's standing between you and the intimacy with God that you need in order to live the full life that he desires for you. And the only way to get past it 
is to forgive. And once again, how do we do that? Again, emotions aren't math. I wish, see, that's one reason, another reason why I hated teaching this series is because I loved, hey, walk out of here, do these four things, and, and these things will happen. And like, like it's just, it's, it's messier than that, ain't it? It's more complicated than that. I, I don't know how exactly to tell you to forgive. I'm not going to be that preacher that just says, oh, let it go and get over it. Because I know you want to slap those guys in the mouth, and I don't blame you. Because it's just, it's just not that simple, is it? Especially some of the wounds that, that we're dealing with. But let me just share some things that God has taught me about forgiveness and is teaching me about forgiveness. First thing is this. Forgiveness is not a decision. It is a process. That's good. Come on. Forgiveness is not a decision. It's a process. Like it's not you just wake up and like, I forgive you. It's not a one-time thing. Forgiving people means I forgive you today. And in 10 minutes, when I'm reminded again of what you've done, I'm going to have to forgive you again. And next week, when I hear that song that was playing on the radio, when you broke up with me, I'm going to forgive you again. (laughs) And then, when just out of nowhere, I'm reminded of what you've done, and it floods back again, I'm going to forgive you then. It's a process. I think that's one thing that we think. It's not just like this one-time decision. It's kind of a daily process where we have to continually, over and over, allow forgiveness to come from us towards those who have hurt us. I think that's at the root of what Jesus was trying to say in Luke chapter 17. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Verse 4 Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And look what the apostle said to the Lord. Oh, increase our faith. I would have said that too. Like, for real, Jesus? He says, like, if they keep sinning against you, you want us to continue to forgive them? Lord, help us. But it's a process. Let me just share some more. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. There it is again. You know how many times I've had to ask God for his forgiveness over the same issue? Y'all have all done it. Lord, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. Three days later, Lord, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. (laughs) Six weeks later, Lord, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. And you know what? Every time he forgives you. He's saying, the way I'm willing to forgive you like that, that's the way you got to forgive people. As hard and as difficult as that may be. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter, oh Peter, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times? See, like they've been hearing this throughout. I mean, at one time, I think I had like 17 pages of scripture that I wanted to read today. But I only got six minutes left, and we'd have been, we'd have been here all day. Because this issue of forgiveness is late. It's just, and not just God's forgiveness towards you, but your call to forgive other people, man, is it's probably the number one thing we see in the New Testament when we're called to forgive other people. So, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? 
And because see, seven was this biblical number of completion. Like, at number eight, no, you dead to me. I gave you seven times. It's a biblical number of completion. I've completed my ability to forgive you. Next time, you're dead. <laughs> Done. Jesus answered, I'll tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And now there's some math people in the room. And y'all are like, okay. No, what Jesus, see again, it's this number of completion. It's just, just you have to completely forgive over and over and over and over again. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. Because see, some of y'all are thinking, you, you know, we, we, we want to isolate our forgiveness to certain people. Because there's some people like we have to give because they're our family and they're going to be around forever. And so like I get that. I got to forgive family because I can't, I can't get them out of my lives. But look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. Verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect in the way that you forgive. See, God has called us to forgive, and it's not just a decision. It's a process. Like, there's going to be people in the room today, you're going to forgive somebody. And you know what? When you leave this place and you're at lunch, you're going to have to forgive them again. And tomorrow when you wake up and it hits your mind, you're going to have to forgive them again. Like, it's not this isolated one-time decision. It is a process. And you can forgive them today, but tomorrow when those emotions come over you again and you're reminded very harshly of what they've done and how many times they've done it, you're going to have to have the courage to make that decision when you're not in this room and you're not listening to me preach and you haven't been under the influence of worship. And you know what the devil's going to do? He's gonna, he knows when to bring it back up. And what's going to happen is somebody else is going to offend you and what he's going to do is remind you of everyone who's ever offended you. So that he can build this hard spirit of unforgiveness in your heart. Because that's what he does. Forgiveness is not a decision, it's a process. Two more things. You need to know this. Forgiveness does not excuse the offense. See, I think that, that may be the hesitation for so many of us to forgive. Because we think, well, what they did wasn't right. You're correct. And you forgiving them is not you saying what they did was. Forgiveness does not excuse the offense. It doesn't mean that what they did was right. It doesn't mean that what they did didn't matter. It doesn't mean that what they did didn't hurt you. But see, remember, it's not about them. It's about you. It's about your freedom. It's about re being released from your prison. It does not excuse the offense when you're willing to forgive somebody. But can I just, can I just say something really quick? There are some off offenses that you need to excuse because you should have never been offended anyway. 
Now hear me, like I got to be really careful with what I say right now. There's some people like the wounds that you have had, they're very justified. But can I just go for me? A lot of the times I get offended, it's on me. I'm being too insensitive and insecure. And I'm letting what people say go to a place that it should never have. We are the most easily offended culture I've ever seen in my life. And some of us, we just need to make it a little bit harder for us to be offended. You want to you have joy in your life? Make it more difficult to be offended. Right. Amen. Don't make sense. Again, I, I'm not trying. There are some offenses. What people have experienced, what you've done, what's created your bitterness. There, it's, it's absolutely justified. But can we all agree that we live in a culture where people are allowing relationships to be dissolved over the dumbest things? Where people are allowing, we, we can't disagree anymore. Because if you disagree with me, you must hate my guts. If you don't agree with every single thing I do and every single thing I say and every position I have, then we can't be friends. How stupid is that? I'm getting off on a tangent. I'm going to get off of it in just a second. <laughs> but can I give you some scripture? Proverbs 19.11. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Whew. See, sometimes you need to be a little bit more patient. And before, what you've just, before you let that comment that you just read on that post get you all twisted up, you just need to calm down a little bit. There, I'm watching, and my whole life I've seen it because I've grown up in the church. And, and bitterness can happen. Church people can be some of the most bitter people on the planet. And church people can, I've seen people not speak for months because the church chose a different color carpet than they wanted. Y'all laugh, but it's true. Little things. I have watched people be so bitter at each other. When we have time of fellowship, somebody stick out their hand and another person walk away. In the sanctuary. <laughs> See, it, it's one thing for, we got enough big things that are causing bitterness that we need to battle. Can we stop letting the little things create bitterness as well? Can we start getting to a place where we're so secure in who we are in Christ? And so confident in who he's created us to be that we don't allow every little thing to, to be. And we always assume the worst. Well, what does she mean by that? Maybe nothing. <laughs> Maybe she just grumpy today. Come on. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Solomon, listen to this. Do not pay attention to every word people say. Or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. Don't you love the Bible? <laughs> These are verses we don't like to read. We just read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. No, read this every now and then. <laughs> See, forgiveness does not excuse the offense. And there's some things, and I'm not making light of the deep wounds that you've experienced. But I know for me personally, most, many of the times that I found myself bitter is stuff that I should have just let go. It's little things that the enemy uses. Little comments. So, what do you, 
Let me tell you what he meant by that. Last thing you know about forgiveness does not remove boundaries. Forgiveness does not remove boundaries. See, I think sometimes we think that forgiveness means that we have to go right back into the level of relationship that we once had, and we're scared to do that because we're scared we're going to let people come in and hurt us again. And forgiveness is not saying that, 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 that when I forgive you, that we're going to have the same exact relationships that we once had that's going to leave me open and vulnerable to be hurt once again. See, you need to understand there's a difference in forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is about me. Reconciliation is about us. Does that make sense? You follow me? See, forgiveness is saying, you know what? I'm not going to let what you did to me hurt me anymore. I'm not going to let what you did eat away at me and tear me down. Because Here's another thing. and I said this in a message several years ago. Forgiveness is not expecting the one who hurt you to heal you. Only God can do that. They can't say, I'm sorry enough to feel that wound. They can't jump through enough of your hoops to make you feel better. Forgiveness is not expecting the one who hurt you to heal you. When you expect other people to heal and other people to do for you what only God can, you'll always end up disappointed. But forgiveness does not mean because I want you to look what else, look what Jesus said about forgiveness. Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. You see what Jesus is saying? Like if you forgive them and you attempt to reconcile, but like they're not having it, when you've done all you can do, You've got to understand, it's no longer on you. There's only so much you can do. Forgiveness is about me releasing that pain and allowing God to heal me. Reconciliation is a totally different animal. I could preach a whole message just on that. Romans 12, 18, if it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That we can do all we can and we can, we can allow reconciliation to be on the table and an option. But understanding that there's a lot more involved in that. That forgiveness is you setting you free from the pain so that bitterness doesn't take root and rot you from the inside out. Just bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Like we've tried to do in every week in this series, we want to create some space for you just to allow God to move in your heart. And if you're here today and you're battling bitterness and you're trying to figure out how you can forgive, the only thing I know to you is point you to your forgiving God. See, I don't, I don't believe the outside of a relationship with Jesus that you can ever truly be able to forgive people the way you need to forgive people. I really do believe that only forgiven people have the power to forgive people. 
Because there's a spiritual component of the Holy Spirit in you to give you that power. And so today, as we conclude, I want just to point you toward His forgiveness. That you are forgiven. That your Heavenly Father, the only one who knows everything you'll ever do, chose to die for you anyway. The only one who's seen everything that you've ever done is the one who loves you unconditionally. And so for you to find the power to forgive, you need to rest in his forgiveness today. Where are you bitter where you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? There's some people in the room, maybe you need to forgive God. You've been bitter towards God because you've blamed him for everything that's gone wrong in your life and you're frustrated and because you've been dealt such a hard hand You've been bitter towards him, and maybe you need to forgive God and allow your relationship with him to be restored. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. Maybe the one you're bitter toward is the one you see in the mirror every single day. Because you know you've made so many mistakes, and you're so ashamed, and you need to forgive yourself the way your God has forgiven you. Or maybe there's somebody who wounded you and for decades, bitterness has been breeding in your heart, and it's time to let it go. I'm going to invite you, if you would, quietly and reverently, just stand to your feet, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to worship. And you just allow God to speak to your heart and minister to you today. Father, work in this room. Speak as only you can. Change lives. Free us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.